Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fort Salem Witching Hour podcast. This is a fan-run podcast where we recap and review all of the exciting happenings on the show Motherland Fort Salem, airing now on Freeform and Hulu. As always, I am your host, Jesse, and with me is the lovely DJ. DJ, how are you today? I am fabulous. I get to travel tomorrow. I'm excited. Nice. Very exciting. Uh, well, I know we've been a bit off schedule so far, folks, but we are doing our darndest to catch up. So today is actually a doubleheader recording. So we're going to lay down both 304 and 305 today, which and we're recording Tuesday morning. So we haven't seen 306, which is going to air tonight. Um, and I think it's kind of good that we're doing these two episodes together because there's a lot of synergy between these two mm-hmm. episodes. So uh, we're really looking forward to recapping both shows. This is the recording for season three, episode four of the show. So a little disclaimer, DJ and I have seen episode five. So some of our our questions and some of our observations of this uh, episode are going to be sort of, <laughs> you know, unavoidably tainted by our knowledge of what comes in episode five. But it's all good. We're, we'll get through it, won't we, DJ? Exactly. And luckily, I had written my episode four notes before watching five. So at least if I go off my notes and leave my brain to bed, we'll be pretty okay. That's a good point. I, I did the same thing. So consider our notes will have little snapshots of our, our true mm-hmm. reactions, mm-hmm. not knowing what's to come. So exactly. All right. Great. Well, let's get into all the actions. We got a lot of recording today to do. Mm-hmm. So like I said, we're going to recap season three, episode four, and the episode is entitled Happy Yule! Exclamation point, as in Yuletide. But before we get into this episode, as always, you folks know that we have uh, a Patreon page where folks can financially support the podcast, help us cover hosting fees and, and buying merch and things like that. So I wanted to give a shout out to some of our patrons. So on this show, uh, this is dedicated to Heather R., Tracy S., Teal Ferry, and to Debbie G., who just became a new patron this month. So thanks you all for supporting the podcast and, you know, sort of helping us helping us pay the bills. Also, thanks to everybody who leaves ratings and reviews on iTunes and Spotify. Any little bit that y'all can do can help. All right. Well, let's get into it then. So where we left last time, things were not good for our our heroes Mm-mm. was a DJ. No. And we're out sort of for the, through the first third of the season. And so we open up on bad stuff. <laughs> uh, we are opening in the White House in the aftermath of the quote unquote attack on the president by witches. <laughs> and we're seeing Blanton Silver being sworn in as the president of the United States. And Kara Brandt is there looking evil and evilly mm-hmm. pleased is what my notes say. So that's that's not good. That's that's ill t- ill tidings of what's to come. Uh, but interestingly, and again, I think we had talked about this last episode, like, did we think do we really think Wade was dead? Well, we get our first hint that perhaps something's mm-hmm. afoot because in the morgue, we see President Wade's body start to dissolve on the operating table. And the witches who are you know, sort of tending to the body sort of react to it. But then Petra strolls in and she's like, let's uh, don't worry about it. You know, uh, there's just going to be a closed casket. Dun, dun, dun. And we cut to the credits. So what did you think of the opening DJ? It was pretty solid, in my opinion. It it definitely puts it on a tough note because we we knew this was coming, right? We, we knew that with his machinations that uh, Silver was going to eventually propel himself to the presidency. And the setup for it just felt very foreboding. I was kind of surprised at the dissolving factor. Um, it's almost like paper mache. Yeah. Is when they touch the hand or when the mortuary attendants touch the hand. I didn't expect that we would get this confirmation this early in the episode. But at least Elliot didn't really want to leave us uh, sort of on the edge of our seat with that bit. Right. 
Yeah, I, I was surprised too. Actually, I thought they would just be like, "Oh, the body was destroyed in the rubble." Like I didn't figure they would just kind of <laughs> like have like a charred body. But I actually it, kind it of like this. It this is interesting that they yeah. left her in the same suit. Yes, as when she yeah. was blown up. Exactly, but I, I'm sure Shirley Ralph was like, "I'm not getting naked on that operating table. You can just leave me in my clothes." <laughs> That's valid. And when you're a queen, you can like make those demands. So it's all fine. Yes, yes, you can. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of excited because this is the moment we, of course, been waiting for, which is Silver mm-hmm. to see- seize the throne. And that's why I can call him President Silver. And it's not a verbal ticker mistake. So. <laughs> you you were just getting prepared for the future in the past. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so we come out of the credits and where we open up on the prison mansion where the girls are still chilling. At. And might I say that this is there are worse places to be holed up like the girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really posh mansion. So it's funny that nobody's like, you know, like this is kind of pretty, pretty good setup we've got here. Yeah, it's got like that old timey like 1920s or late 19th century hotel feel with the elevator and the velveteen carpet or mm-hmm. Persian carpets, whichever. It's a, it's a nice place. I know. I know Airbnb I mean- there. I know. Like, yeah, I would totally give it a five star review on Airbnb. Like, you know, <laughs> well, maybe four stars because the wards are not convenient. Uh, you know, so yeah. Tra- trapped in the, the haunted mansion. Uh, so Scylla is still fretting about Rael. And uh, that's, you know, I that's an interesting thing for me because I do worry that a bit of Scylla's plot has been reduced to Scylla worries about mm. Rael. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I mean, Last season, we got to see her come into her own a little bit as this, like, super secret spy working with Anacostia a bit. And I don't know. because So I haven't had a partner in a while. So how, how would you feel if your partner was suddenly eaten up by mushrooms in the ground? Wow. Well, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough question. I mean, I would be not pleased, but I think I would be trying to do something about it. I mean, I guess okay. I guess Scylla is still trying to do something about it. Um, I, I guess it's in character. It's just interesting. She's like, oh, obviously circumstances in the real world, you know, yes. uh, with, with Taylor's accent have sort of unfortunately conspired to sort of stick Scylla in this sort of bit of a one note role, which is a mm-hmm. bit unfortunate because we know obviously Amalia can bring a lot to the table. We saw her sort of free range Scylla last season. So, yeah. So anyway, that's that's going to be Scylla's plot. This and spoiler alert, that's Scylla's plot. This whole episode is she is worried about Rael. She's still trying to contact Rael. The other interesting note that comes out is a deal. Uh, bless his bless his heart lets it slip that alder is back now nikta <laughs> is pissed <laughs> at this revelation <sighs> so they're, they're they're sort of forced to be like okay yes nikta technically she's back but tally's like look i swear she's different like my girlfriend's different somehow so <laughs> there's something weird going on there might be an alien in her brain or something exactly oh. i mean when you think about like everything that nikta went through last season was to explain to do accomplish one thing, which is to like destroy Sarah. And she's like, man, all that work for nothing. And she isn't even the one who destroyed her in the first place either, though. I know exactly. So she doesn't get to take any of the happiness in it, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually would have liked a little bit. I mean, they talk about a little bit later in the episode, so we'll come back to yeah. this. But yeah, definitely a plot point that I feel like we could have gotten even more on in this episode, but mm-hmm. at least it's set up. So um, so that's sort of the setup for what's going on in the mansion. Meanwhile, back at Fort Salem. So obviously bad news. Anacostia and St- Sterling are still missing. And I wrote mm-hmm. down, I'm like, uh oh, because I was I, now at this point, I was worried. <laughs> uh oh, SpaghettiOs. Right. And so uh, the new president rolls into mm-hmm. Fort, Sil- Fort Salem and he's like, look, 
uh, obviously a witch bomb is what was used to kill President Wade. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to have some oversight over you naughty witches since you can't control yourselves in your witch bombing. Uh, and we get our second Battlestar Galactica alum. I'm not sure. Did you watch that show, DJ? I can't remember. I did not, unfortunately. Uh, okay. Well, the new o- uh, civilian oversight committee is chaired by a gentleman played by an actor named Aaron Douglas. Uh, and he is playing a character named Colonel Jarrett mm-hmm. for the purposes of this episode of this show. Now, for those of you who are Battlestar Galactica fans, you may recognize him better as Chief Tyrrell from Battlestar. So it's kind of fun to see him. We've got two Battlestar alums, uh, both Candace McClure, who's playing Nicta now uh, in place of Arlen for most of this episode. Uh, and then we've got the Chief. So was he a character that was also easy to hate on Bal- Battlestar? Because just like from the moment he walked on screen, I was just like, yep, I'm going to hate you. No, and that's the funny thing is he I the chief was like one of those guys like you just love, right? Like he's mm-hmm. like the the blue collar mechanic, like he kind of has okay. a t- tough romance, you know, like I really liked Chief here. I, I, I people have complex feelings about the Battlestar characters because it was mm-hmm. obviously one of the best shows on TV when in, in when it aired. Um but I do like that Elliot kind of went out of his way to kind of go get those premier actors who have done sort of other notable sci-fi work mm-hmm. you know, going out with a bang with this budget in this last season. So, but yes, the minute he rolls in, uh, he, he makes an impression. And I, yes. I think it's interesting that they're not even pretending at this point to not mm-hmm. be openly Camarilla, right? If you look at the outfits they're wearing, it's that sort of burgundy dress uniform <sighs> with like the buttons and things like that, which is basically sort of the Camarilla like colors. I mean, it's like, you know, rolling in with like white hoods on, you know, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of, a, it's, it's like, very much, nazi feels right now yeah yeah you're not showing president silver so yes the minute he shows up you're like oh i hate his face so uh props <laughs> to aaron because I've, I've seen him cut it the other way we're like i love your face so it's kind of a, it's it's emotionally it's emotionally weird for me <laughs> you have take. you're having whiplash right now yeah i am having i'm having a lot of feelings about that so <laughs> but i'm excited i'm excited to see what he does in this role we're going to get a lot more of colonel jared as we go so uh, what did you think when the, the civilian oversight committee came in? I mean, I, I thought this was sort of like the next logical next step. So I didn't really have a lot of observations of this other than to be like, oh, it's the Battlestar guy. I didn't really like expect like them using a full oversight program. Like I honestly thought that they would have just been gradually closing things up or shipping people off elsewhere, like more blatantly, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really see the oversight program as that blatant. Well, in We'll talk about the, how how it becomes more uh, forthright next episode, but yeah, it's we've talked about before about how good Elliot is about bringing current. We actually we talk about this every damn episode. I think mm-hmm. like the relevance to current events is just very poignant now. Whenever we pan back to Fort Salem, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, there's definitely this sort of like, oh, let's purge the government of civilian employees that's happening in the real world. It's a little scary. So there's no. Yeah. You know, the, the TLDR is you do not want this, folks, in your no. fiction or in your real life. No, <laughs> the sir. government no. is sort of, you know, uh, puppet government like officials getting installed and sort of, you know, them leveraging the government bureaucracy against against our our heroes. So them putting their buddies in place. Exactly. So. All right, great. Well, so we get sort of a quick aside back to the mansion. Uh, mm-hmm. Scylla's snorting necrodust trying to reach Rael, <laughs> as we said. She gets excited because she hears footsteps, but it's just the Marshal, creepy Marshal, carrying a dead guy. And it's, I don't think we ever get his name, right? He's just the Marshal. No, he's just the Marshal, yeah. Yeah. No name. 
yep, no name, but uh, a really fun actor. So I think his name is William Horst in real life, which is a great name. Uh, he strolls by carrying a dead goat and he's <laughs> he's having a good time with his prisoners. So he's kind of like he's, he's enjoying it. He is enjoying it a little bit. So <laughs> also enjoying having some prisoners. Oh. Our friends, the Camarilla. So it's so funny because, you know, we talked about, we haven't posted it yet, but we're, we're going to get that cut and up for you all. Uh, we talked about how we, we met Bob Frazier on the podcast and he was kind enough to do an interview with us. And it's so mm-hmm. interesting because, you know, Bob in real life is such a nice guy. <laughs> we had such mm-hmm. a great, great chat. So it's, it was very funny to me to then sit down and watch this episode, having had that really po- positive encounter with Bob to be like, oh man, Alden, you bastard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The bad guy you love to hate. We've talked about this. Exactly. Well, and it's funny because he kind of comes out and he's in this velvet suit and he's hemming mm-hmm. it up, right? Like he's like singing on stage and he's being like very, very big and bold. And and uh, obviously his new vocal cords are starting to kick in and sort of throwing mm-hmm. off his singing performance. And it's interesting because I think I would I would sort of classify this performance as campy. Yeah. Um, but in a good way. And it's funny because when we talked about one of the things he sort of mentioned, he gave insight into was that the when he was trying to sort of flesh out the character, the showrunners were like, go as big as you want, right? Like we want it bigger. We'll let you know if you go too far, but we want this character to be really big and sort of broad and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, bring what you want to the table. So I feel like a lot, of, I've, I thought a lot about that when I saw this scene. I don't know about you. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it when he comes on stage and he starts singing, it's like he's trying to be someone else he's not. Yeah. And we learn a little bit more about his character in subsequent scenes and his relations within the Camarilla itself. But we we know that Albin, he's this sciencey type character who truly does believe in his cause. You can at least give that to them. He's a big believer. And he wants to do what he thinks is best and really give it his all. Hence why he goes ahead and replaces his entire vocal cords right. and decides to go through a second puberty, basically. I think that's a great observation, though, because I do feel like when we first see him, right, when he appears on the show, he's like evil, creepy scientist. And it, you're like, mm-hmm. yes, this makes sense. And it was very like this performance. I was like jarring. I was like, oh, who is this like weirdo? Right. Like what's going mm-hmm. on here? And I think it is. I think you're right. It is him trying to like be this thing that he isn't. Right. <laughs> so exactly. he He's trying to put on a show. He's trying to still keep himself relevant, Yeah, I think, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I maybe know because everything's out in the light now, uh, which is not exactly. just Forte, right? He's, he's, and, he's, and like he's in the shadows guy. It, well, yeah, he's in the shadows, but he wants to be in the light. He wants people to understand these great discoveries that he's making and how he's going to be pro- uh, propelling humanity back into the spotlight in the forefront and save them from the witches. Yeah. He wants that notoriety. He doesn't necessarily want to be kept in the shadows. It's just unfortunately where he excels. Uh, and where Kara wants to keep him. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, we'll, we'll come back. We'll come yeah. back to to that in a minute. <laughs> so that exactly that's an interesting reveal. Uh, but the other thing we sort of learned in this scene is uh, we finally find out what happened to Anacostia and Sterling. And mm. unfortunately for them, they've been captured and they are on display at this party uh, to be yes. playthings for the Camarilla, along with two civilian witches. Uh, what look like civilian witches, and then two lower ranking. Uh, I, I don't know if they're cadets or soldiers, but basically like sort of disposable footmen i guess yeah they're 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 either war college or just i don't even it's been so long since season one i don't even remember what the first state boot camp we'll just call it boot camp yep it's either war college or boot camp yeah exactly so uh things do not look good for our heroes and uh obviously mm-hmm. it, and the other takeaway is obviously alban is still getting used to his vocal cords so yes that's that's sort of and president silver is now like and president silver is again at this party so 
Mm-hmm. You know, I we have sort of seen Silver mixing it up with the Illuminati, if you will, right? Like sort of yes. the ruling council of the Camarilla. Uh, but this is very different to me because this is a mm-hmm. much bigger sort of spectacle and affair. And Silver is allowing himself to be publicly attached to this group now. Yeah. This is basically his coming out ceremony. Yes. Is how I think of it. Yeah. It's sort of like a shadow inauguration party. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, so more things happen to the mansion. I think they're sort of worth noting right now. But we do cut briefly back to Fort Salem. Mm-hmm. And Petra is unfortunately saddled, dragging Colonel Jarrett around. But, you know, you and I are always happy when we get an Isadora scene. So we do get a little, yes. little injection of Isadora. And Isadora is so smooth. I, I, <laughs> she kind of like science talks at them. He's like, well, it'd be a real shame if you uh, were in this this chamber when these vocal resonance started because it's going to melt your brain so you might want to wait in the hallway <laughs> civilians uh which allows her and petra then to speak freely in the lab once they sort of get rid yeah. of the civilian overseers I- again you know we always talk about props to the show characters share information when relevant and of course the chief scientist is going to inform the head of the army about her newest toy that she's very mm-hmm. excited about which is penelope silver so we realize that P- penelope is still there they still have her contained she is mostly able to maintain corporeal form. And at the moment, it's interesting because she, she looks docile, but in a really creepy way. You're right. Mm-hmm. Like she looks like sort of a, a spring loaded, you know, weapon. You, you know, you, she, she, I have to give props to the actress because I really did feel like she was going to like vibrate out of her skin and like go yeah. crazy at any minute. It's, it's hard to maintain that level of tension Yes, when you're supposedly supposed to be relatively calm and uh, unassuming. Yes, exactly. So, so we get some sciencey talk about how Penelope is still alive, which is good because I think we had sort mm-hmm. of had hypothesis and we were sort of confirmed that you know the witch plague was designed to be self-replicating, right? So you really couldn't like, yes. destroy one piece; it would sort of uh, regenerate itself. But mm-hmm. as it turns out, they did too good of a job because that's how Penelope has been able to stay alive is through that regeneration power. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really interesting because. I think at this point, we're really hoping to see Penelope leverage as a sort of a weapon or a, a warrior for the, the side of the witches. Right. Agreed. And obviously, it would make sense since she was pretty brutally betrayed by the civilians and her own father. Um, so that's going to be a pretty mighty power to have have handy. Mm-hmm. It'll so, be it'll be good to leverage against Silver, obviously, as well. Right. But of course, right now, she's not really ready for prime time because she's Mm-mm. still having sort of like Hulk-like rages where she kind of has... <laughs> Like her temper tantrums are a little bit more violent than the average two-year-old is all I'm going to say. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm excited to see what, what else they can do with Penelope. I don't know if, if you had anything sort of uh, other things you took away from this scene. Let me see. The most interesting is the fact that it's reversible a little bit. Because when Anacostia is talking about it, she's saying that Penelope is slowly becoming more human. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because maybe the the witch plague has like a short shelf life mm-hmm. as individual organisms or what, but that's going to be very interesting. Yep. See how much she actually retains of the witch plague and almost if she becomes like a reverse witch bomb mm-hmm. or oh, just a different version of a witch bomb. That's interesting. Well, and we'll kind of get to this in the prophecy later, but it's like, she could certainly neutralize a witch bomb going off, which would be interesting. She could. Right. So maybe she's going to be a key in that sort of, sequence we think might be coming in the finale based on what we see at the end of this episode yeah. so maybe a little something to sort of put in the back of our minds mm-hmm. now we come back to the camera and i actually really like this scene that comes up here which is silver is mocking anacostia and sterling uh mostly he's kind of going after anacostia specifically mm-hmm. and you know i, I want to give this actor props because who plays sterling because you mm-hmm. and i have been on record as feeling like sterling was very boring 
and not good enough for our girl and like why yeah. is this guy here but i will admit that this episode has turned my opinion around on this actor because and i think this scene really lets him show off something that we haven't really said because you're, you're kind of like why do we have this character like why are we dragging him around <laughs> right like it doesn't mm-hmm. really make a lot of sense because he's just like a booty call but, uh, you know, again, as we mentioned, Silver is sort of mocking Anacostia and her, her attempts to reason with him and then mock him back and do all that sort of fall flat because he has the power advantage. But then Sterling starts to talk about remembering Penelope as a child and then this one very particular moment of her childhood. And you see Silver start to react, right? Like you mm-hmm. see him really start to break down a little bit emotionally because, you know, as much of a monstrous act as he committed, like I did believe that Silver really did love his kid, right? And that he thought yeah. it was for the greater good that he he made the sacrifice, but it shows that Sterling, like his knowledge is useful in this situation because it gets him to like leave them alone and kind of sees that bit of doubt mm-hmm. and maybe heads off something more aggressive, right? Like start, like maybe, maybe Silver would have sort of pushed them to, to fight each other faster, right? If he yeah. hadn't been like sort of, you know, sort of broken through a little bit with, with, with Sterling. So I really like this scene. What did you think? I- I did too. It brings a lot more relevance to Sterling's character, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and it may- it provides more of a connection because most of up until now, we just thought that he was just a regular bodyguard. I didn't realize, I thought that he was just with the vice president since the vice pres- presidency, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to have been back with, or with Silver since Penelope was a child, I mean, that's 10, 15 plus years. Yeah. That you're thinking that Sterling has been involved with this family. And you had to think too about the pain that Sterling is feeling knowing that Penelope's dead too. Yeah. Because this is a kid he watched growing up. Right. So I hope they delve a little bit more into that. Um, I kind of hope that they'll go ahead and maybe allow Sterling to see Penelope again mm-hmm. for the final showdown that we'll call it. Yeah. And it is an interesting question. It's like, how long has Silver sort of been this pro Camarilla person? Yeah. Like, what, what was the forcing factor? Because it does seem like, you, to your point, like, it seems like he went and selected this guy to be his chief yeah. of staff, right? Way before this person was assigned to him. Like, he has a relationship with this guy. He He's allowed this man to be part of his family for so long and, and to be part of his daughter's life. So I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And again, gives silver really unique insight or start, mm-hmm. sorry gives sterling this see this is the mm. sterling and the silver show like why are you doing this to me why elliot i, th- I think i think some of the writers room sat down and they're like this is gonna be really funny if we do this and they did not think out the long-term consequences and how confusing it's they didn't it think about us at all no refer to refer, refer to these two characters with very similar names <laughs> upsetting anyway sterling then now obviously brings that to the table, right? So when, if, and when he rejoins up with the army, he can give them insights into the operations of silver, mm-hmm, which is great. Mm-hmm. And like you said, because he was part of Penelope's life and they don't like, I, I think Ooh. if her real father shows up in the room, Penelope will lose her mind. But, but if Sterling right, shows up, right. Is he a key warm, to, fuzzy thoughts, right? Is he a key to unlocking Penelope's control? Right. Because he Ooh. could sort of surrogate be that father figure for her you know, to help her get under control. So I love that idea. And so now, now I'm on team Sterling, like, well done show. Cause I was all about like, why is this, like, I hope he's on the death list. And now I'm like, Oh no, I, kinda, I hope he makes it. <laughs> so, I think the show has converted you for a couple characters. It has, it has. I, uh, I, and Elliot, I must trust. I think <laughs> I need, I need to, anyway, I hope you all are. I would love to hear what you all think. Have you been coming around on the Sterling character? Did you think this was a, a standout episode for him? would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, do, do tweet at us. So, 
the only other takeaway from the par- the party is uh well not it's not a small takeaway speaking mm. of family ties uh, it turns out that Kara and Alden are related and they are brother and sister and so we learn a lot about the back history so we learn that they're brother and sister that Alden has always been sort of the I mean I, I'm actually unclear if he's younger or older I assumed he was younger I wasn't quite sure if they specified uh, that they didn't specify it at all it's hard to say the fact that she calls him Albie, yeah, that sounds like a younger sister nickname for an older brother that she can't pronounce his name right. Oh, that's interesting. I would have said it the other way, which sounds like an, an older sister like t- condescending to her little brother, like mm. the little. Uh, anyway, it could well, go. It could really be either way. Could go either way. Uh, but it's funny because we had sort of been like, "What is this guy's deal with her?" <laughs> and and we had asked Bob about, and again, we're giving you a little bit of little teaser to listen to our long form uh, interview with with Bob Fraser. Mm-hmm. But one of the if you don't if you haven't gotten to that interview yet or if you've listened to this episode before you you dial you delve into Bob's interview with us uh, he does mention that when he and um, the actress first started working together they didn't know what their relationship was exactly so that really confusing psychosexual like it, I, I think I called it a mommy vibe well I was close yeah to it, I thought um, they were both surprised as well when they got to this episode to learn that they were brother and sister uh, with this relationship where he was sort of the budding serial killer in the family. And she was like the good daughter. And, and, and she kind of has that knowledge about, you know, his sickness, his inner sickness Mm -hmm. um, that allows her to sort of manipulate and control him. So uh, that, that kind of blew my mind. Uh, It blew my mind when Bob told me because I, he told, I had that interview. We had the interview with him before I watched this episode, but you went into this episode cold because you watched it before we talked to Bob. So yeah, I would love to hear like, what was your, reaction in the moment where you're like oh it was like an ocean well actually i don't think i was able to go in cold i think i got spoiled on twitter at one point but it also just kind of makes sense it's the dynamic itself is still so weird because why is his last name hearst and hers brand why is she an heiress and he's i wouldn't say just a doctor he's i'm wondering if his license is even good to be honest actually (laughs) I feel like it would have gotten repelled. I mean, maybe maybe Evil Doctor School is not a certified university. Maybe. So. Maybe. There's, I mean, even in the moment when it was kind of revealed, I was still like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. This kind of makes sense. This feels very weird. And it actually harkens me back a little bit. I was trying to remember where I felt those vibes before, and it was actually from First Kill. Mm-hmm. And how oh. some of the vibes between the twins are. Yeah. Yeah. Inappropriate inappropriate but well you know it's one of the hot the hot icy blonde sister trope exactly with the miss well misjudged in quotation marks uh the problematic son yeah the psycho the psycho brother yeah yeah um well and in first kill for those of you who haven't watched it yet the the two characters are twins and that was my other yeah. guess was like well maybe these two are twins which would make it extra super psycho and and weird so i kind of like yes. that idea too maybe they're maybe they're twins they very well could be but once and, again i there's so much i still want to know even though i hate both of these characters with a passion yeah i want to know things about it i know that's what bums me out the most about this being the last season as far as we know or the is that i i really like what this actress is doing and like this dynamic between these two i'm like uh i want to know so much more about this woman because <laughs> she's she, I know. I feel like she could be a really interesting character as we kind of get towards the the latter, the second half of the of this of the season. She is a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we'll see. I, different last names could be a lot of reasons. Maybe yep. they just decided to you know disassociate with one another. Maybe she does mm-hmm. strike me as the type to marry. 
a rich billionaire, to, mm-hmm. you know, some old mm-hmm. guy just to take his money and as part of her uh, ascension to power because she obviously a is a point. very conniving person. So in my head canon, they're twins and she is one of those gold digging power models. Okay. So in general, that. otherwise, uh, that's going to be my, my head canon for that. So anyway, that's kind of where we leave things at the party and things are obviously not going well for Anacostia Mm-mm. and Sterling, but we'll sort of come back to that. Uh, but meanwhile, we kind of get back to the mansion and, you know, sort of the, <laughs> the titular reference, which is it's, it's the Yule, uh, which is a sacred time for the witches. Um, the girls, again, try to escape uh, to no <laughs> avail. It's pretty funny. Like the marshals, like, child, please. And like whistle spells them into submission. <laughs> it was I, so I hilarious. Really liked- it was hilarious. And I did love, again, showing a different way that the vocalization of magic works for different mm-hmm. people and that because we haven't seen somebody whistle yet, right? Usually we yeah. see them singing actually quite low tones. So it's kind of interesting that he comes in with a very high tone to sort of mm-hmm. counteract um, their spells. And so the marshal's like, look, you're in the paper again. Apparently you blew up the White House somehow. And of course, Ugh. because of the witch bomb, Rail is named as the chief culprit. And, uh, you know, and to be fair, like, He's like, well, maybe she did it because she's not here. And Nick just starts to poke a little at the group. She's kind of like very, I mean, she's pretty annoyed at Scylla at this point. And so Mm -hmm. she's like, well, maybe she did do it, right? Which Scylla does not appreciate. No. And so like the TLDR is basically like they're getting famous for all the wrong reasons. And so the marshal's like, look, the Great River Council wants to speak to you about this and other things like that little blowing up of our chemical plant, (laughs) generally wreaking havoc on the session and so forth. But because he's not a monster, he will allow them to enjoy a little bit more freedom because of the holidays. So they get a little bit of, they can go outside the mansion to a certain degree. Some of the wards are lifted and, you know, they're allowed to kind of uh, sort of uh, celebrate the holidays. Uh, but Nikta is not really having it. Like Nikta is no. not in the festive spirit. So she kind of gets sketchy. She's like, well, I got plans of brewing. And it's interesting because in the, this is again, that, that tension we had talked about because I, I do like that Nikta hasn't softened or compromised. <laughs> this journey has taught her nothing. Right? <laughs> she is still the, the same hardened yeah. on the run spree leader uh, yes. that we first met. Yes. Uh, oh, well, I mean, maybe she's softening a little because she does seem a little upset to kind of overhear them. Like you know, say, like once a terrorist, always a terrorist and to mm-hmm. kind of feel that vibe from the group. So that's sort of an interesting sort of like yeah. plot that we're laying down there. Again, it's sort of interesting because I'm so used to Ireland's performance. So again, this is another episode really featuring Candace in the role. But mm-hmm. I, I like this. I, I, I kind of like this 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 path for Nicta, right? Yeah, like, I, I do like that they are keeping her her edges rough. Well, we see a little bit softening in the later episode or later bit of the episode. True, true. She's still pretty salty, though. So. Oh, yeah, she's salty as hell. She's salty and she kind of goes off uh, to be salty. To me, well, outside the mansion... Now that they got a little bit more freedom, uh, Kalita's taking advantage of that, and she sings and miraculously summons Alder from the ground. <laughs> it's like a dog whistle. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty hilarious. Like, and, and I wish I had this power to just like conjure Lynn Renee wherever I stood. <laughs> I mean, my God, I would. I'd I get feel like you done. would abuse it. I would abuse it. I would get nothing done, but. <laughs> Also getting nothing done is Tally because she's oh god she's just also watches on and shocked. Yep, she's she's shocked to see Alder appear. The first seed, a vial that she's been carrying around in her jeans, flies out of her pocket, uh, which shows that Alder can get in her pants without even being next <clears> to her, <throat> which is pretty impressive. And so the file <laughs> flies over to Alder. Sorry, I had to, I had to make the joke. It's, it's there, folks. If yeah, and we find out that Alder is not staying for long. She is just there to pick up Kalita. And then go collect the other stewards. So again, we were sort of getting this like 
we talked about the collect the infinity stones plot, right? Like we know we have to assemble the MacGuffin to fight the end battle. And so not only is it assembling the parts of the first song, but they also need the stewards mm-hmm. who are supposed to be the protectors for, for each of the six pieces. So, so she needs to tuck Kalita away someplace safe so that she can go f- fetch the other stewards. And mm-hmm. this leads again, if you're a Talder fan, well, it's, if you're a Tally fan, this is a good episode for you, regardless of what ship you sail, because actually both ships get a lot of love but this is our Talder scene and Talder's like begging Alder to stay they hug I I wrote that it's all very gay Alder but then Alder's like look you have to trust the mother I don't I can't tell you about Rael like I gotta go like you know I gotta go gotta go do my thing and then she sort of heads off so we'll, we'll move over here for a minute but I, I'm curious like what did you think about this scene DJ because I think there's a lot of like how did how did this read to you? Like how a, a lot of it yeah. is, I think Lynn and Jess were just told these are the lines. Do whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> like I really do think that they're especially with the way like Jess is on social media a little bit. Yeah, like I think they're enjoying playing with the dynamic. I'm not going to commit that they're specifically trying to drive it in one way or the other but they're enjoying just kind of exploring it oh yeah yeah i mean it's subtext right like, oh yeah great vintage subtext in the vein of like xena which we talked about on our special yes. sort of spin off but it kind of reminds me of like vintage subtext that we used to have in the 90s we sort of had to fill in the blanks but uh but you're right i mean i think both actresses really lean into it in a way that the dialogue it does support but like could also have been read very differently if they wanted so exactly you know the face caressing the the hugging the crying like it's a lot it's a lot of your Talder fans. So um, it's sort of interesting. And this is, uh, so so we cut from there, from the Talder scene. And we get another great scene, which is Alder greeting the marshal. Yes. Who is not surprised to see her. So, no. uh, you know, this marshal is, is, is in the know. And he, they talk a little bit about first about her losing her biddies. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good exchange because she's like, look, thank you thank your people. Like, I want to thank your people for the spell that allowed me to have the biddies in the first place. Um, you know, and they both kind of, so the, obviously, and it seems like they're old friends. It seems like they go yeah. way, way back. And he knows that she's there for Kalita. Like he asks her, in fact, he's like, are you here for the little one? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yep. And here's the seed from Elaine. And uh, she's like, look, I need to know who this, you know, we, this was stolen from your people. And he has a great line where he goes, a lot of things were stolen from my people oh. by, by y'all. Um, so good. So good. So, so again, you kind of like that respect for the first people and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, uh, but, and she's like, look, I want to, I want to write this wrong. We need to find the rightful owner. Like, can you help me? And he agrees. So I, I really love this scene. I was like, oh, again, when we think about like, what's that, the spinoff, the prequel adventures of Sarah Alder, like this is another sort of like piece in that puzzle. If you're interested mm-hmm. in that, in that storyline. It- it also makes me really interested, like, I don't know why I didn't think about this when we first confirmed that Alder got the Biddy work from people in the session, but, like, who else actually has Biddies then? Or something similar? Well, it's an interesting question. We'll get to this in the show discussion, but but that that's, uh, oh. some people had some interesting hypotheses about this, right? Like, yeah, is, is Alder the only one who's using the spell? Is the spell in use elsewhere? Does each member of the Great Council? Like, there's a lot of, like, who knows? Maybe. I mean, obviously, it's a spell that requires tremendous sacrifice. I think it would yes. be quite unusual to find people that willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. their own life for another, right? Just so that they can vampire off your life. Yeah. So I can't imagine it's a spell that is easy for most people to, to use 
certainly as long as Sarah has, right? Like how many hundreds of women have probably gone, gone through service as biddies for her, like in her original incarnation. So that's true. I I feel that, you know, I, we can respect our elders and all y'all, but like I'm living my life. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't nobody signed up for for biddy duty in my, my house. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyway, really good exchange. And, and maybe we'll come back to like, you know, how how else would we think about this biddy spell? Like where else might it be in use, but uh, really good, really good scene. So, but obviously he is, He's totally cool with Kalita leaving. He's he's mm-hmm. aware that all is going to come and go. He seems pretty plugged in. So, uh, so that's good. Adil, again, we talk about one note, sort of like Adil has two things on the brain. It's making babies and his sister, like not yeah. with his sister, but like, you know, <laughs> and in addition to keeping his sister safe, I should say. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of family. He's family oriented is what I'm saying here. Oh, Keep your mind out of the gutters. You're people. killing me this morning, dude. Uh, it's been a while. Like I'm in rare. So maybe the COVID has like altered my brain. I don't know. But uh, Adil is not happy that Kalita no. is leaving. And again, she has to play the role of big sister, right? And we had sort of talked about their their very interesting dynamic where physically she looks younger to him. And we had talked about how in earlier episodes this season, they had been writing her a bit like a child all of a sudden, which mm-hmm. make a lot of sense. But now we're kind of reverted to the Kalita we first met when yeah. she appeared on the show where she's the older and wiser one. She's the one who's got to keep things calm mm-hmm. and the one who's more in the know. And she's like, look, I hear you. We will, uh, you know, don't, don't freak out. Like, yes, we'll see each other again. But also like, even if we weren't going to, like, you've got to respect my wishes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and she gives him uh, if you're in danger, squeeze this mushroom token. Uh, so that if he need, and which obviously will come into play in the next episode. So, uh, but it, this is where we see that, that exchange. Yeah. So obviously, at least the group agrees that they should not tell Nikta that Alder was just on the grounds. No. <laughs> I also just find it fantastic that, like, Nikta has not run into her. Yeah. At all. I think Sarah, I think this new incarnation of Sarah comes and goes as she pleases. And she does not, she it does not sense, please her. It does not please her to sense see Nikta. Nikta's vibrations. Exactly. And it's like, like, those are not good vibes. Yeah. She, <laughs> she's not, definitely not a, a candidate for steward. We'll put it that way. So. No. so the group was like, yeah, let's just like keep this on the down low. Let's not tell her about, like, we told her, like, we should have told her she was even alive, but like, let's certainly yeah. not tell her that she was here because that's not going to be good. Nope. Uh, but then it doesn't matter because that plot is put aside because the important thing is Petra arrives, uh, which was surprising. So Petra rolls in and everyone's excited, but also Abigail's like, WTF like what is happening like Wade is dead Silver's the president you know cats and dogs living together what's going on (laughs) we've got to do something and so then someone's like well we are going to do something and again not a big surprise at this point but like President Wade still alive and well Kelly Wade Mm -hmm. strolls in and they give her a great moment where like the camera zooms in on her face she whips off her glasses and delivers her line she's like I'm here to do something. Dun, dun, dun. And, uh, and of course, M is with her and they are looking. Such a good uh, scene. Yeah, they're looking great. So it's a good entrance. So again, I think it's kind of, we talked about last episode, like they're really leaning into the show, Re- Lee Rolf, now that she's gotten real famous with Abbott mm-hmm. Elementary. So uh, I loved, I was like, yeah, look at President Wade just strolling in. I loved it. It was definitely a good scene. Although I didn't expect her to appear all the way out here. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that is that was interesting. I'm like, oh, like they all just like roll like just or that the marshal allowed it. Well, I mean, doesn't the president know that Petra's just running around? Like it's surprising that but anyway, whatever. They got their ways. So and we learned a few things. Obviously, we learned that the assassination was anticipated by the group Mm -hmm. and that uh at the end of last episode we saw we saw 
um, run into the room and mm-hmm. face what we thought was President Wei. But actually, what it turned out was that was a golem that um, brought into the room to take the place of Wade so that she could, quote unquote, die on camera. Yes. And so they ask about Rael and like where she is. So the art it's like, this is news to them that Rael is missing. Nikta kind of is real shitty about it. She's like, well, she's probably dead. Right. Which <laughs> Scylla does not like. No, and, she's not pleased with that. And then it's funny because like Wade looks at, at, at Nikta, who again, as is played by Candace McClure <laughs> at this point. And Wade's like, who are you? And Nikta gives her a fake name. So that's interesting to me because it tells me that the witches have conveniently left out the fact that Nick Batan is still alive yeah. and running around and have not informed the president of this fact. That might hurt a bit later. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that comes back to bite them or cause tension in this relationship with the president because it was a very noticeable exchange to me. Well, it's kind of like, what else did they think happened to her? Yeah. Like, they were all en route to D.C. What else could have happened except to escape? And why not just escape with people that True. are already there? true oh no yeah i mean logic i I mean i think they did she's still a terrorist like she still killed a a bunch of people so i mean she she didn't get a pardon for that (laughs) you know like she was not framed (laughs) not like the others no so so anyway we'll we'll see if that comes out but obviously so they kind of were like all right here's what's gonna happen uh wade is gonna stay here along with the marshal and m while you guys talk to the council they fill petra in on the fact that alder is back which is hilarious because Petra is like slightly perturbed, but not super shocked, which is hilarious to me. Except for President, like the only one who is surprised is President Wade, who's like, I would like a drink because I cannot with this. <laughs> <laughs> the woman was dead. The woman was dead. She's back alive. Can't can't keep a bad witch down. I don't know. <laughs> so so that was funny. Uh, and then, of course, we kind of get to the confrontation that's been brewing, which is Scylla and Nikta have a little fight in the kitchen mm-hmm. about Nikta being a jerk, about Rael being dead. And she's like, look, Anger helps you. Like, I'm just doing this to rile up because, like, I like you angry. And Scylla kind of calls her out. She's like, this is not anger. This is love. And you are too sad and lonely mm-hmm. and a loser to know the difference. And she, you can tell she really, like, that really cuts through to Nikta. Burn. Who has no response. So it's a good burn. And so Scylla sort of wanders off. And she comes across the dead goat that the marshal has <laughs> left there. Now, it's interesting because do you think the marshal left it there on purpose, knowing that Scylla needed a larger sort of dead body to do her spells well hmm. that's a good question i didn't even think about that because i mean he did just kind of carry in the goat on his shoulders and clearly they are gonna cook it up but it's a little weird to bring like a fresh one yeah i don't know in my opinion it's a little weird in which society it is probably perfectly normal I think he did it intentionally. I feel like he, as much as he's playing this tough jailer act, I feel like there's a part of him that understands the larger conflict and what's going on that even though he's there to like play his role and he's going to keep the, or keep the peace and do his business. I think he has empathy for these girls. And I do think, I feel like he brought the the goat there knowing that Scylla would water upon it and like need to use some of its parts. So that, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just my working theory. We don't really get a lot of confirmation, but like that's sort of the, the takeaway from this scene. I mean, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get a slight aside uh, and we see that Alder is now off, having secured Kalita. Alder is off to her next mission, which is to secure the actual rightful owner of the mm-hmm. song that was taken from taken back from Elaine, the singer. And they're at a museum, uh, the Pima, P- Pimatsawin Museum. I apologize mm-hmm. if anyone knows how to say that 
correctly. That's as close as I can get. And we see that uh, a woman, a Native American woman, is taking out a death squad on her own. And I love that Alder runs in and she's like, I'm here to help. I'm here to save you. And then the woman's like, I've saved myself. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. I did it. Uh, Which is pretty funny. But we find out that this character's name is Newton. And the other takeaway is that she is the rightful steward of the first song of her people. That uh, And so uh, Alder hands her the song and the woman immediately gets her, her whole countenance changes. She gets emotional, much in the way that Alder got emotional when she heard the Tareem song for the Mm-mm. first time in, in season one. Uh, a very similar sort of performance, which I like. I like that um, sort of continuity. And I wonder if that actress reference that scene and the way she reacted to the song um, and we see her literally drink the song in uh, and and take it into herself uh, mm-hmm. so that she can now be the steward so hey quick scene but i liked it i was like all right cool another player on the board very interesting propels the steward part along and yeah. let me see that's four four stewards now four stewards yes and I, i'll get, have to give you props i don't know if we find it in this episode well it's, it's the next, the next episode, one too. the next episode you are vindicated dj because you had Yay. hypothesized that we already had a fourth steward and we do so but now we don't know that this episode so we'll come back no we'll that's come true, back that's to right. your your prognostication powers yes so we come back to lee manor and they are you know sort of prepping the yule log and they're carving sigils into it even wade is getting in on the action and the marshal sort of watching her and this allows us as the audience, uh, because this is a good this is a good injection for us, because Wade, as a civilian, doesn't know these things, which allows her to then be a vehicle for us, the audience, to learn new facts about the world. And so Abigail teaches Wade and us by by, you know, osmosis that uh, as children, they had this thing where they would look they would carve their family sigils into these Yule logs. And when the logs burn, they're supposed to look into the sigils and see their future. Right. So that's an interesting bit of lore, which is pretty cool. But it's time for other magic because Scylla runs in and she's got the heart of the goat and she's like, let's try to summon Rael again. And so there's a good little scene where they kind of go out and they stand in a circle and they're all trying to sing Rael, you know, and help Scylla like sort of, you know, with this spell to contact Rael. And it's interesting because this group is in a circle, except for Nikta, who, uh, you know, the way they position her is literally on the outside. Yeah. Which is interesting. No, so even though she eventually does come into the circle, you can see this look on her face where she's like, "I'm not part of this, right? Like, I'm, I'm never so be... reluctant to do this, right?" She's like, "I don't want to be a joiner. These aren't my people. Like, I, there's no like, you know." And I think it kind of it's a quick visual reminder that Nikta is a very lonely, like, character mm-hmm. in her heart. And I think this sort of shows it well because Scylla, and I think I think this is why her dynamic with Scylla is so important because Scylla, I think. Nikta looks at Scylla and thinks, this is someone who is like me, right? Like we have more in common because we're spree and we do what it takes and, you know, screw these civilians and screw the army and, you know, damn the world, burn the world down. We just want to like get our revenge. And so I think that's why she takes it so hard that Scylla is accepted by the group and that she can choose another path. Because I think a lot for such a long time, maybe Nikta has justified like that there's only one way. And so, like, they, I think a lot of that sort of informs their tension. So I think that's why this scene is really important in terms of her character development. So anyway, if you're a Nikta fan, I think you probably take a lot out of the scene. It's a pretty visual rich scene. And at first, it seems like the spell doesn't work. 
and everybody's crying. They're kind of bummed out. Even Wade's like, uh, was something supposed to happen? Which again, was like a nice bit of levity from Cheryl Lee Ralph to kind of cut the tension in this scene. And so everybody goes back inside, even Tally, even though they have a little hug and cry, uh, just her and Scylla. But then just as Scylla is about to go back in, she hears Rael's voice and a beautiful mushroom R appears in the ground. <laughs> so, so adorable. It was very cute. And it's just like the R that appeared in the sky with the birds. Yes, yes. It was very cute. So uh, so while that couple is not being reunited, another couple may be brewing because Wade is chatting with the marshal and they talk a little bit about their family. And I wrote in my notes, he maybe flirts with her, question mark. <laughs> oh, that's not a maybe, dude. No, as it turns that's, out, not really. That's not a maybe. No, but the, and it's funny because those actors have great chemistry. Like they really bring it in this very short little yeah. aside. So it's good. It's adorable. We, yeah, it's very cute. It's like we get to see the Marshall being more human. We get to see Wade, who up until this point has been this sort of enigmatic sort of power figure. Uh, you know, she talks about her family. She talks about her grandkids, right? Like she's this whole person outside of being the president, which I like. Meanwhile, Adil is sexy dancing. And I have to admit, Tony Giroux's got some moves. I was impressed with his dance moves. He does some good sexy dancing, which impresses everybody and they talk about the prophecy again and making babies and at least for this point abigail's like that sounds great but let's maybe clear our like, like let's not have babies while we're on the run <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's really funny too because like my first instinct when i saw this was like you know in those nature documentaries when the birds of paradise mm -hmm. and the males are all flashy and trying to dance oh. for the females <laughs> yes that's what i got reminded of yes yes oh my god we're going to find that gif. We're going to push. Which, that made us a good challenge is which dancing bird gif best represents <laughs> Adil's dance moves in this episode? Because he was oh, he I was committed. Tony he committed to the, to the dance. He was very committed. It was very cute. I, I, I would, you know, I, I might hate not that he looked good, man. So anyway, go ahead and show. Give us your best bird gifts uh, for Tony, um, for Tony's dance, Adil's dance. <laughs> So we get a little backstory through the course of Nikta and Scylla making up. And we learned that Nikta too was born from the Dodgers. Much this like was saddening Scylla. a little. This was a this sad was scene sad. a bit. That's right. Because her mom was a Dodger. And so what's interesting is unlike Scylla's parents who took Scylla with them, Nikta's family abandoned her. Her mother left yeah. her behind. We don't even know. We, have, we hear nothing about the father. We just learned that the mother was a Dodger and that she was abandoned with her grandmother when she was five and that she kept waiting for her mother to come back and telling herself every Christmas, like, this is the, this is the Yule where my mom's coming back. And of course, she never does. Well, the fact that the grandmother told her yeah. to sing the Yule song and her mother would appear. That's yeah. mean. That was mean. Don't give a don't give a kid false hope, y'all. Like what? So, but it's a good little scene. It allows Nikta to be vulnerable. It again kind of shows like why she's attacked, like why someone like Scylla probably was interesting to her because again, they share similar backstories and she and Scylla basically like sort of apologize for, for their little tension. She, and it's cute because she calls Scylla baby spree. Mm -hmm. So Nikta, Nikta is still bringing the good, the good nicknames. So uh, I, I think this whole sort of little like sequence of events is just like, let's pair together interesting couples. Uh, and so, again, if you're a Tally fan and you prefer to ship Tally with M, this is the scene for you. Mm -hmm. And it's a great scene because Tally talks a little bit about feeling like she's caught between two worlds. And M's like, look, I can relate. And they talk about being non-binary for the first time. And I like this because up until this point, obviously, we understand that S, the actor, identifies as non-binary. It very much felt like M was a non-binary character and we had had some hints i think that we had had the they them pronouns used with this mm -hmm. character but we hadn't really had them address it directly 
Yeah. Right? And, and, and so, and they talk about, look, you know, when the call came, I had, you know, I had two choices. I could be go to the weapons building with the men and make scourges for the women, or I could go to basic with the women and it's super traumatizing because neither felt right. And I had to make a choice, right? Like mm-hmm. this binary concept of gender doesn't really work if you're, you know, if you're trying to pass through this world this way. And so they, they talk a little bit about like, it is really hard to be torn between these two worlds and, and, and some of the trauma that they went through. Um, but then they also talk about how, again, we sort of seen Sarah Alder as this maybe villainous character at times. She's a very complicated character. Tally has her own complex you know, relationship mm-hmm. with, with Alder. And Em's like, look, Alder saw me, right? Saw, saw past that, the, you know, that, that binary like construct and just saw who I could be and encouraged me to be a, a coven leader and, you know, sort of encouraged me. And that meant a lot, right? And that helped everybody eventually kind of also see me as I wanted to be seen. And, and then they tell Tally, I see you for who you are. And so it's a really good little scene. And if you're a shipper, you will probably like this because like I said, there's this handholding there. It, this is a really intimate moment between these it two characters. It was adorable. It was adorable. So I don't know. What was your read on this scene? Were you, feel, were you feeling the sparks here? I was feeling the sparks a little bit. Yeah. But it could have also just been in this. I was your coven leader and I support your growth and your feelings. And I still care about you because you're one of the few that are still alive. Exactly. Um, so it was probably a nice little reunion day too for Sekhmet Coven in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause it's interesting. They're all grown up. I mean, M is a bodyguard for the president. Yep. Everyone else is on the run from the president, from the new president. Yeah. So, wow. That's actually really depressing to say out loud. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely so. But again, I, I also like that they address the non-binariness. Yes. You know, obviously, DJ, I know you started using they, them pronouns and, yes. and identifying that way as well. And we've talked a little bit about your journey and how that's been for you. So, you know, obviously I'm a cis woman. And so even though I thought this was great that the show was addressing it, I'm curious how it landed for you. You know, how did this feel to kind of see this representation on screen? Like, how did this, sand, how did this scene land for you? So it's really a fantastic scene because I haven't really talked about the journey too much and I haven't really talked about it on Twitter yet at all I think Mm -hmm. um I think all I did was maybe like change my pronouns in my Twitter account and that was really it but honestly coming to this fandom and seeing S on screen for the first time that's what allowed me actually to sort of start questioning myself a little bit more Mm -hmm. because I've never really I don't have a desire to be a dude and I don't really have, I'm not really comfortable when people address me as woman. Like even just seeing like miss or misses in emails squicks me out a bit. It's Mm -hmm. kind of annoying, especially when you're in a position where at least in your normal life, I guess you could say it's a lot harder to try and live the way that you want to live. Um, So being able to see this on television, being able to actually hear someone who has gone through this journey for a while or who had gone through this journey a while ago, it's really enforcing. um, And it helps kind of think about the fact that seeing characters like M on screen can help spread the message that this is normal and to hopefully allow people to see that not everyone thinks in the binary or believes themselves to be within the binary. And as soon as, whenever that becomes more normal, um, 
I think it'll just be a lot easier for people who identify like I do or identify elsewise um, within the non-binary community. It'll allow them to live more freely. Yeah. And to feel like they can be more themselves in public. Right. Well, and again, I mean, maybe it's a cliche to say it, but like representation matters, right? Like that's exactly. really what that scene sort of uh, sort of means to me. And that's Absolutely. why I love to see this sort of progress, right? Is, you know, we've all sort of had those like that choice to make it like, do I transgress the expectations of my insert here, right? Like my gender, my whatever identity characteristics, someone like that box people are trying to put you in. So yeah, I just love to see a character. I mean, it was really great to just hear this character vocalize this on screen and that they made time in this episode to carve that out. I thought it was really yeah. terrific. So, and you could tell that S uh, probably put a lot of their own feelings into this as well, into that moment as well. I agree. So yeah, great, great scene. And again, complex chemistry. And and, and I like, you know, look, we, we don't have to reduce characters down to like couples or not, right? Like they no. can have, and, and that's the thing is like, if you're a shipper, great scene, right? If you're not, it doesn't matter because it's still a great scene. Right? Like it the is, relationship yes. between these two characters was really terrific. So, uh, so that was nice. Uh, I also, this is where my notes now scream. Uh, Wade and the Marshall are going to do it. So okay, so like you put that, but then I put Scylla goes and cuddles the mushroom mound. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Scylla does go have an intimate moment with the mushroom mound. (laughs) But more importantly, President Wade's gonna get some. (laughs) Yes. That's the episode of this. That's the title of this podcast episode. President Wade gets some because she you know, props to props to President Wade. She's not gonna let a little death threat and assassination, you know take her groove pull away. her down nope pull her down not gonna slow her down she uh, sees what she likes she and the marshal get in the elevator very clearly going to have an intimate moment and uh again nice to see right even though she's a grandmother still getting it can still mm-hmm. get it so uh age is just like, a number age is just a number so i don't know it was just i just enjoyed that i was like oh that's kind of fun so but now, of course, we get back to the main plot, right? So we've had these sort of cute little asides, these character moments. But now, again, we have to forward the plot. And as Tally is staring into the Yule Log, sitting next to M, she has a vision as she stares at the mm-hmm. sigils. And we see her in this chamber, and she sees Rael in the distance. And Rael starts to scream, and the witch bomb starts to burst forth from her. And we see all these sort of mushroom particles flying out. And she's in the middle of the circle with uh, dark figures sort of closing in on her singing a song now again if you probably are like me i'm sure you paused it and took a look dj and i'm yeah. pretty sure there are six figures in the scene i think i counted five now there's five and then there's like a head person which i assume is uh, older so uh well but like, there how many sisters are there how many sisters six. were there there's six were there six yeah i thought there were five no, maybe my six. brain just started crossing the pentacle with it and that's why i okay so yeah, yeah. those are probably the stewards then yeah, that was my assumption. Like, I thought that was the stewards sort of singing with her. And it's unclear if she's they're trying to contain her or accelerate her. Or um, exercise her. Right, or exercise her, right. So it's it's very uh, interesting. And then we see basically, in, and it's an upsetting vision for Tally. Uh, it's an interesting moment uh, because we see Rael basically explode and Tally screams mm-hmm. and snaps back awake. And M sort of catches her and is like, what is going on? And she's like, uh, well, I'm pretty sure Rael maybe just ended the world in my vision. So um, uh, seeing the future is problematic. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going to come back to that. So uh, fun fact now, uh, even though it looked a lot like Taylor in this scene, because again, as we've talked about at length here, Taylor was unavailable to film a lot of episodes. So there's actually her sister in a, in a, in a Rael wig 
in the costume performing this scene, which I, I didn't realize. know that. Yeah. Fun fact. So take a very, very close replica. I mean, her sister, like they all look like clones of one another. Like they're very cute. Uh, I think it was her sister Tia, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, was brought on set to uh, wear the rail wig. And so, and again, it's a fairly heavily That's kind of cool. scene. Yeah. Kind of fun. So fun fact that is not Taylor. It's one of her sisters, uh, you know, sort of graciously standing in as a body double. Anyway, so wait, we cut from there and we are back at the Camarilla party uh, and we have to kind of resolve what's going on with Anacostia. And Ugh. so we see that the reason that everybody is coupled off in groups of two is they are trying to make them fight each other for the crowd's amusement. And when it comes time for Sterling and Anacostia, for a minute, for a minute I thought they were going to try to like convince Sterling and Anacostia to fight each other, Same. but they don't. Instead, they throw two spree agents into the pod with them and then they fight these spree. Oh, and not just any two spree. One of them's Vera. Oh. from the first episode second episode i did not realize the that. person so from Scylla's past yes oh okay good. and then freaking anacostia wind strikes her face off yes but not before uh not before. vera uses a spell to make sterling stab himself and again yes. we've seen that they have that mind control power right they yeah. to compel others and so you know obviously anacostia at one point is i think she's like sort of briefly stunned because she's fighting her own fight on the side so she mm-hmm. can't stop this stabbing from happening uh and when she does finally sort of come to like you said she wind strikes she literally wind strikes her face off and leaves sterling in not good shape so then i was annoyed at this point so i was like you know what i finally start to like this guy and now you kill him show what is happening so we're kind of left we're left with their fate sort of left up in the air so it was kind of i was like oh no uh so again props to the show for making me suddenly care that this guy was gonna die so uh that was like they did that again Yes. There was another one. There was a character last year. Penelope. You started liking Penelope at the end. Yeah. And then they killed her. Well, but now she's back, sort of. But I never actively disliked Penelope. I like, actively was like, why is like why is Sterling here? Like, just kill him. Let's move on. Oh, true. Right? And so now I'm kind of like, oh, no, don't kill Sterling. And I'm my precious boy. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, uh, his fate is TBD. Although, well, obviously, the next episode, spoiler yeah. alert, he's fine. Y'all, don't worry. He, you know, Sterling's going Sterling's gonna to make it. And so we cut from there and we see that uh, President Silver is back on TV uh, and allegedly sort of there to give the eulogy at Wade's funeral. And so they're all watching this sort of broadcast from the mansion. And it's funny because Wade is very annoyed because she's like, this is supposed to this is supposed to be my moment. <laughs> <laughs> and this this bitch is like up here making it all about him. Right. And selling his agenda. And so she's like, uh, it's not safe. All of a sudden, it, it's funny because I, I thought this was abrupt. All of a sudden, Wade just jumps up and she's like, oh, uh, I'm going to leave with M and the marshal. It's not safe for me. Uh, bye. Right. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, oh. And they just hustle her out the door. And the girls are like, why? What like, what is fuck? going on? Like, what the fuck? Like, you're supposed to help us with the council. And the marshal's like, well, you know, a patient hunter spends most of his time in the blind. Which is not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful at all. And so they just leave them watching TV and we kind of cut to the credits. Uh, and the last thing we get is a close up of President Silver vowing to lead the US into a brave new world using very fiery rhetoric, basically saying, We're going to silence the songs of witches forever. Ugh. And that's sort of where we cut to credits. So, anyway, that was our episode. Again, my notes are like, I was like, uh, my notes just stopped suddenly. I'm like, Oh, the episode just like ends. You're like, Okay. Yeah. So mine ended with Wade being evac'd out, compromised, and then the marshal's quote. Yeah. Yeah. That was the last thing I had. Like, I was like, I was like, I was like, did did it just end there? And like, yes, it just ends there. So that was weird. So well, let's 
let's rate this episode rate, rate and review the episode so uh i'll let you go first dj score of one to ten how do you grade this episode it was either like an eight or an 8.5 okay because we we're finally starting to move the story along we're not stagnant in place we finally feel like we're getting some more information and we actually feel like we're going someplace which is nice yes i guess the only pitfall was kind of like what you touched on a little bit earlier was some of Scylla's appearance in this episode kind of gave her like a Mary Sue feel. Yeah. Which I will agree with you on that. Like we're kind of, which she could be in with of the like five stages of grief. Um, She could be like in the denial phase right now, which we, we know eventually the five stages of grief will end. Taylor will eventually come back somehow i don't know how yeah um but she she is definitely kind of making a lot of these situations about her drive to find rael mm-hmm. whereas they're kind of in this much larger situation now where this the the session council leaders are going to come and decide their fate um and i think she just needs a little bit of a pre- present reality check I agree. Uh, I like this episode a lot. Like you said, yeah. I think it forwarded the plot well. I think I give it an eight. Um, nice. I really enjoyed it. I was I was like, okay, cool. I, I want to see this is going. I think we have learned a lot. Of, there was a lot of good information dumped but in a way that felt organic to the storyline. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, all of this is good. I do have a few complaints. I, like I said, I think the ending was weirdly abrupt. You're just like, it just kind of stops. So it didn't really have like the pacing of a normal episode. It was quite peculiar. Again, it's another one like there's forward momentum, but actually not in a way for our characters because they are literally still stuck in the same location where they left them. And they're there again at the end of the next episode. So like they're sort of trapped in the session mm-hmm. and we're not seeing a lot of the session. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, the things I really liked about this episode were some of the pairings were really terrific. And we talked about like last season when we previewed what we were looking forward to this season, we were like, oh, there's all these interesting pairings that can come out of the group, right? Like mm-hmm. unexpected pairings and different dynamics you might see. So Alder yeah. and the Marshall, Wade and the Marshall, Em and Tally, right? Like all of these people have these sort of like interesting sort of little back and forths and Scylla and Nick did a little bit. But I would say the one thing I disliked was that I think Scylla, because she doesn't have her primary pair yeah she doesn't have taylor to sort of act against like is i wish they were doing more with the character right and again perhaps it's just sort of unavoidable uh but i think it does compromise that character a bit because she is often sort of not organically paired with these other characters right like yes i guess she's made up with tally and abigail like we talked about like oh they're like hugging her this you know like i guess they're friends now but she still feels a bit removed from the group, right? And she feels mm-hmm. that character feels a bit unanchored, unmoored without Rail there. So, and again, it's not the it's not the show's fault that like Taylor wasn't available. But I think the show does suffer for not having Taylor in the mix. Like, it's, yeah, it is sort of noticeable. It um, does make you kind of wonder, like, if it hadn't happened, how the season would be. Which you don't want to get into that thought path too much. Yeah, but it it does leave a little bit of food for thought. Yeah, certainly interesting. So um, now here's an interesting question. Uh, let's go back to the Biddy Spall for a minute. Uh, I think someone had hypothesized, and I'm, I thought we were going to talk about this episode, but anyway, I'm just going to bring the fan. I, I, I'll do the credit if I can I can remember who came up with the question. But, um, uh, oh, I found it. Sorry, let me restart this. Let's move to our fan questions, and we'll see what you all thought about this episode. Mm-hmm. So our first question 
comes to us from a longtime listener of the show, and that is Jonica, uh, who you've heard from before, uh, at Jonica38 on Twitter. And they write, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears that the marshal is as old as Alder. So are all of his deputies essentially biddies? That would certainly go a long way to explain how powerful he is and why Rael seemed to fear him so much. So I love that question, Jonica. Thank you for putting that in there. So I, tell, I said we were going to come back to that. I love this theory. What do you think, DJ? Is it possible that the marshal does have his own version of the biddies? And it is these other tractors who, much in the same way that Alder had her biddies around her and they had a presence, but were very clearly following her lead. Like, are those other marshals just biddies? I don't think so, because they seem younger than him. True. True. And I mean, uh, let's see. Wade has grandkids. He seems at least as old as Wade is, if not older. So he's probably at least late 50s, early 60s, maybe. Mm -hmm. So if Alder was having regular communication with the Great River Tribe or the Great River Council, then it would stand to reason that she would have had some interaction with the marshal, especially if she was cluing them in on deserters of the military mm-hmm. that may have fled to the session to hide. So I could see, I don't think so. I don't think he's using biddies. That's interesting. It is, it's still an interesting theory, but I mean, it could be he has his biddy stash somewhere if he is. I, I like the theory. So, you know, I, I think it could be read that, read that way. I don't think the text contradicts it at this time. Mm-hmm. Right. And look, it's very possible that he's doing a different version of the spell. Perhaps he allows himself to age slowly, more slowly. But like, you know, Sarah kept herself the same age for forever, right? For hundreds of years. Uh, but it is possible that perhaps this Marshall is taking some amount of life force to somewhat prolong without it being as damn. Like Alder was like sucking the life out of these girls in what, 10 to 15 years. I think we had sort of approximated. Yeah. But uh, perhaps he is, like, maybe he's 150, right? Like maybe it's a more gentle version of the spell, which is they loan him a little bit of life to let him live longer than most humans. You know? So, I mean, I think any of those like readings would, could be yeah. correct. So I, I think it's a real fun theory. So I, I like that possibility. It could also be that he has less biddies allowing him to look older because right. uh alder had to have seven to maintain her level of youthfulness so and yeah. if i remember correctly she yeah she was showing visible signs of age whenever one died right so maybe she could have also needed more biddies over time to maintain yeah yeah that was sort of my my working theory was that she needed more biddies over time or the biddies lasted longer back in the day than they are than they were lasting at the end yeah uh, which is sort of a, an interesting thing again they sort of like the limits of the spell so uh anyway cool idea so a great great question from jonica uh so next question comes in from our friend mel kex friend of the podcast at mel kex on twitter and they write if Scylla had to bury a heart under the earth to contact rael <laughs> what random object would need to be buried to contact the other characters for example to contact abigail one might bury a tomato <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, I'm challenging myself to ask wacky questions this season. All right, that's a great question, Mel. I love it. Let's see here. Let's what see. what would you bury to contact Ooh. Tally? Oh, Tally, I was hoping you would ask me Alder. I okay, we'll start with Alder. Alder. Go ahead. A bottle of whiskey. Oh, yes. That's exactly <laughs> what you good, bury. A yes. good bottle of whiskey. Not that Blanton bourbon that I discovered. Yeah, either the bottle of whiskey or like a, a whiskey stone. Like I like the mm. idea of maybe a whiskey stone with like her sigil carved into it would be kind of cool. That would be kind of be baller. Adorable. 
yeah, that'd be fun, be a lot of fun. Let's see. To contact Tally, a, a cute bunny rabbit. <laughs> You'd have to kill the bunny. No, like a stuffed one. <laughs> oh, a stuffed, a stuffed bunny rabbit. Yeah. Um, let me see. What's uh, Rael? Not a mushroom. A mushroom would be too. Her guitar. Yeah, a guitar string. That'd be good. I like that. And then we've already got Abigail. This is tomato, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Priscilla, it would be lobster to harken back to yep. season one. Yes. Yes. I love that. Lobster. That's an expensive. I, I would have to eat the. I would give her the lobster carcass. I mean, just, you know, <laughs> she gets the shells. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to waste a perfectly good lobster, even to summon Scylla. But uh, anyway, that, that's a fun question. Thanks, Mel. We'd love to hear what you all think on Twitter. What, what would you bury to summon your favorite character on this show? All right. Uh, our last question comes from Lauren at Lauren underscore John on Twitter. Again, someone who's written at the show. Thanks uh, all three of you for your support uh, over the years as we've, we've been podcasting. It's always awesome to see people interact and, and tweet mm-hmm. us questions. Uh, and so she writes, uh, apparently Taylor Hickson had her sister Tia stand in for her on episode four. So other than a sibling, who would you want to stand in for you <clears throat> on a show or film? And which celebrity would best fit Abigail and Tally as their double? So let's start with you. Who? And this is like a sort of a variation on who's your celebrity doppelganger. I don't have one. I think. Never played that question with with that. that that's something I play. Ooh. That's one of my favorite icebreakers at a party. Is like who's your who's your go to uh, celebrity doppelganger? Like in the film of your life, who's going to play you? Um, well, I can answer. My yeah, celebrity please, doppelganger. I don't have a bloody. Cl- you know what, everyone? You tell me. You you see okay. my face. You yes. tell me who my doppelganger yeah. who, is. Who, who could be DJs? Help the help them out. Who 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 would we who would we slot in there? Uh, I'm sh- and I assume you're open to to any celebrity of either yeah. gender. Yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and and I will sort of uh, I will tell you who my celebrity doppelganger is. And this is a legit like this person should play me in a movie. And it is Joseph Gordon Levitt. And I know that sounds crazy, but if you look at like when he played Tommy on Third Rock from the Sun, if you look at pictures of him and that, and then myself at that same age, like we look like twins. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt huh. would be my celebrity doppelganger, especially with my current haircut. Like Joseph Gordon-Levitt from the 500 Days of Summer look. He is, he is definitely, it's, the resemblance is uncanny when you actually see it. So that is my answer. Uh, meanwhile, who would we best fit in there as Tally and Abigail? Whew, that's a tough question. They're both really unique looking actresses mm. i i don't think they have any yeah i think I mean, they'd have if, to find a sibling <laughs> i mean if to your point what made that episode for what made it work was the fact that it was heavily cgi'd mm-hmm. um they do have similar bone structure all that kind of stuff um so what literal bit we could see i honestly thought that that was just a stand-in scene yeah like that they filmed it later and then slid it in. Yeah. Um, but they are both just, I don't even think they have stunt doubles. Oh, I'm sure they have some stunt doubles, oh, but true. yeah. Uh, I but mean, they're, I just, they're, they're unique looking actresses. So I, I don't know that there's any, like what I, I think was really cool about this cast and that, you know, they really sort of cast a show with relative unknowns, either basically yeah. people who the, the older folks are paid by, you know, sort of uh, people who have been in the Vancouver theater scene for a long time and have been doing a lot of character work. Like I think Kat Lohaquist is a great example of that, right? Like she's done a ton of work. And so you kind of have this like mix of, you know, really well-established character actors who are yeah. prominent in the theater scene. And then these up and coming new, new stars, uh, Taylor being the most 
sort of famous of the group, I suppose, like having the most yeah. sort of career success up until this point. But what I think it's exciting about all three actresses, the main actresses, is that they are really unique and there is something really special about this cast that they found for themselves. And I think that there's not a lot of folks out there that I could think of who I'd slot in. So if I were to find them a double, it would have to be some, you know, random off the street. Uh, I don't know yeah. that there's another celebrity that fits, fits their look. I can't think of any. I honestly can't. And also I, I do agree based on like the way that uh, Joseph's bangs look, in this yeah right? yeah can't unsee it, it, it can't unsee it yep so joseph garden live if you want to know what i look like in my idealized state it's 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 <laughs> him so uh it'd be a great the role of a lifetime joseph garden love has my consent to play me in a movie of my life if he wishes so all right oh anyway, that is our show for this week uh really good stuff like i said uh we are trending in the right direction we're heading towards the peak you know the halfway peak we're about to close out uh with 305 which we're going to record right after this so uh would love to hear your thoughts so did you like 304 what did you think about our yule time episode uh you know what do you think about our responses what questions do you have uh, hit us up if you want to talk to us more about this episode or or anything we said on the show today you can find us on instagram twitter and tumblr at fs switching hour you can also get us on our personal twitter accounts at mad underscore typist for me and at djdex for dj so give us a shout out give us some love on itunes and spotify if you don't mind taking a moment for that and again if you want to support us you can get us on patreon.com all these links will be in the show notes all right well that is our show for this week and we will get you on the next episode of the Fort Salem Witching Hour podcast. Y'all have a great witching day. We'll see y'all next time.